Welcome back, everybody, to Rules of the Arena podcast, episode 57. This week is part two of my conversation with Pete Gordon. He is the president of the John Donaldson Network. And we dive into John Donaldson's history, who he was, and the impact that he had on the game of baseball during and after his career. With that, I will let Pete do most of the talking. Thank you and enjoy. So where does Donaldson's story begin? Okay. So from the you know from the very start, where he grew up in I know uh, Missouri. Yes, John Donaldson was born in Glasgow, Missouri, in 1891. The average life expectancy of an African American man in the year 1900 was 35 years old. And I pause after I say that because imagine if you thought your life was only going to be 35 years. Okay. <laughs> and that's a difference. And that's, you need to understand that. Yeah. And life for African Americans at that time and in America at that time was completely different than it is now. Uh, subjugation of African Americans was commonplace. Um, what did I say? There's, there's resources out there that have said um, within 50 miles of John Donaldson's house, I'm sorry, 75 miles of John Donaldson's house, before he was 20 years old, 18 lynchings happened. And so you go, what's going on here? John Donaldson needs to get out of that place. Um, that's a part of our history. Um, it changes your perspective on how you look at how the rest of his life went when you realize where he came from and what he did. He stars on the baseball field. We have yet to find a, um, a game of his where he plays for his hometown that didn't strike out 15 guys. Not just like a Tuesday that he messed up and only got eight, <laughs> right? It's 15 every time, 17, 21, right? I mean, he's a young person. He goes off to um, George R. Smith College. And now, back then, you didn't go to college when you were 18. And hopefully, if you, like you and me, are smart enough, you get done after four years, okay. right? <laughs> Whatever mom, dad said, right? Um, John Donaldson goes off to George R. Smith College, all-black college in Sedalia, Missouri, um, to be a Methodist preacher. His mother is a devout Methodist. Um, at that time, they didn't allow playing baseball on Sunday. That was against the law mm -hmm. in many places um, because that was for church. Sunday was for church. Uh, Anyway, John Donaldson plays so much, goes off to school to be a Methodist preacher uh, until they start realizing this guy is not the same in terms of his baseball ability, right? And so he gets picked up by a barnstorming team called Brown's Tennessee Rats, um, and he plays the 1911 season with them. Um, so from 1907 to 1910, he plays for the Hanukkah Blues, which is um, the mayor of Glasgow's baseball team. Uh, they realize, the mayor realizes that he can make money with baseball, and it's in-town advertising, mm -hmm. and... So you would go down to Hanukkah store and get something, go to the baseball game at the same time, right? Soon after 1911, Brown's Tennessee Rats from Holdenville, Missouri, which is right not too far from there, uh, not too far from Glasgow. Glasgow is, historic Glasgow is the, known for um, having the first steel bridge in the world that spanned the Missouri River, which was a huge thing, right? So the funneling of uh, railroad traffic all went to Glasgow, Missouri, from Chicago, St. Louis, uh, 
because that's where they could get over the river, mm-hmm. right? And that's a big part of Glasgow's story. John Donaldson got the opportunity to see some of the greatest performers and entertainers that there were because they stop in Glasgow. Uh, Glasgow's got 1,100 people now. Uh, but it was a big thing there, and the bridge is still there. Um, and that's important. So he comes from that north central Missouri. Glasgow's located on the largest bend in the Missouri River in north central Missouri, probably 75, 80 miles from Kansas City, um, a couple hours from um, St. Louis, the other direction, uh, 60 miles north of Columbia. Jefferson City area, kind of that. Uh, if you anyway, that's geography of Missouri. That's probably not what you didn't ask for. But my point is, is that he came through, came out of Glasgow, uh, and immediately got on these traveling baseball teams, which brought him all over uh, the state of Iowa into Minnesota, um, Illinois. Uh, traveling as a that's the first season that they say he's the greatest colored pitcher in America and and he was he has a 31 strikeout game in that year I mean 31 times <laughs> right he's great so how many pitches is that I know well there's 27 in outs in a typical game yeah. for, for the audience um he strikes out 31 in an 18 inning game, right? And he goes the whole way. In the most recent set, I found um, they had a. I was at a baseball um, Twins versus Detroit Tigers mm-hmm. was it? Mm-hmm. a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and they put the stat up there that their opening pitcher threw 90 some pitches or something mm-hmm. like that. And that, I mean, just seeing the the knowing how much wear and tear that happens on the shoulder, sure. And that he didn't have anywhere close to. You know, thir- you know, let's say ten or twelve, fifteen strikeouts. Right. So to strike out thirty some people. Right. You. It was a. Yeah, it was a physical undertaking. Yeah. That, There's insane. no doubt about that. Pitch count is a modern phenomenon. We didn't have that. John Donaldson was pitching to win because if he his traveling team, um, if you won, you took home sixty percent of the gate the people who all paid a quarter to watch. Mm -hmm. You took 60% home if you won, and you took 40% home if you lost. And so it was important that they won. And Sundays were big crowd days because everybody went into town for church, and then they'd have a game and everybody pay, right? And so John Donaldson was a Sunday guy. And so pretty much every Sunday from 1907 to 1940, John Donaldson's pitching somewhere. Uh... We found a lot of those places. Uh, But he comes out of Missouri uh, in the year, in 1912, a guy, entrepreneur from Des Moines um, named J.L. Wilkinson hires John Donaldson to be on his team called the All Nations Team. And that team was advertised to be made up of eight different nationalities all playing together, which was a novelty. You look at the Minnesota Twins today, and almost nobody is American on that team, right? There's people from all over. They're left, they're right fielders from Germany, right? Several players from the Dominican and Cubans and um, people of all different nationalities. Well, the All Nations team in 1913 was very similar to the way the major leagues are now, mm-hmm. um, which is ironic in Minnesota. Uh, But anyway, this entrepreneur named Wilkinson takes this team called the All Nations, brings lights with them in 1912. The first major league game had lights in 1931. Um, So this is 20 years... 20 years before that. He's bringing around this light that he saw at the Iowa State Fair 
when there weren't lights in towns. I mean, this is a long time yeah. ago, right? So it was a novelty to light up the nighttime. Imagine, I can only imagine the thousands of people who went home from those games by moonlight uh, with their horses because no one had ever turned the light on at nighttime, right? right? I mean, so this is amazing. The moths would come to the lamp, mm -hmm. right? And people did. And John Donaldson was playing in those games. Uh, and so the All Nations team is kind of a circus atmosphere, and they have lots of nationalities of people. And they travel all over by a rail car, a Pullman car, which has sleeping quarters, a chef who makes meals for their team, right? You didn't have lodging issues or food issues because you didn't have to deal with the people in the towns. Your cook did that, and then everybody slept on the train, and then we went to the next town. And it was one of the ways that we find their information is, and I don't know if you know this, but the maximum speed of a train in 1912 was what? I would guess in the 30s, 40s. 35 miles an hour, right? And so you could only go so far, right? So if we have you one day in Minneapolis, you can technically put it, and we have put concentric circles around it to tell how far away these places they possibly could have gone, right? So there, we know John Donaldson is in this circle. Where is it? And then you can go find that, and there's ways to do that, and that's technical. But... This team traveled all over the place, you know, 150 games a summer every day and, and, and double headers and two on Sunday, two on Saturday, two on Thursday, which was the maid's holiday, in case you didn't know that. Um, so they'd play on holidays, right? And all the time. And so John Donaldson, you talked about wear and tear and what it would take to pitch 30 strikeouts in a game. Well, it was a lot. Um, he not only pitched, he played outfield the whole every other day because there's only so much room on the train, mm -hmm. right? And so he only had 13 players. I mean, so you played hurt every day. You know, there's no day off. And you're traveling on a rickety train and everything's, you know, and it's it's rather romantic look of that time, that time period. But everywhere you played was a huge crowd of people who wanted to see you play. And John Donaldson was the headliner for that uh, because of, like we talked about, he was a major leaguer. And not until December of 2021 did Major League Baseball ever recognize an African-American player as a major leaguer. And that was two months ago, right? Mm -hmm. We have work to do in this department. Um, so, yeah, in 1914, he pitches more innings than any major league pitcher. I mean, so if you're talking about three up, three down, three strikes, you're out. Um, nine inning, 92% of his games that he pitches in are complete games. He starts and he finishes. Today... And we get in a, you know, the game's not the same. Right. But so trying to figure out how many pitches John Donaldson had is good luck. But it was a lot because, you know, what's the old saying? However many it took. It was, <laughs> right. And so that's the key to understanding that. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out statistically where John Donaldson fits. Um is very difficult because it's not apples to apples. Like I said, I know there's articles of where John Donaldson's come to town. We're taking the mound out just to try and make him mortal, <laughs> right? And they did that. Um, and that's important to understand. One day it was raining. Um, 
But John Donaldson's coming, and the local communities relied on him and his teams to make money. So the lady would make extra pie, and they'd sell ice cream, and right, and every, and the guy would sell tires, and and they could, the whole community made money when John Donaldson came, um, and they started to rely on that. Um, one day it's raining as it does in the summer, and the field is underwater. Uh, the newspaper article says the local fire department brings their pumper truck, which would have been rather not like they have today, um, pumps as much of the water off as they can, poured gas on it, and lit it up. <laughs> right? And so that's what they did because they couldn't miss the opportunity to see John Donaldson play there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because thousands of people were there. And you only got them once a year. And so he'd go out there and many times strike out more than 20 guys on your team and you would beg for him to come back next year because we need you here, Mm -hmm. right? And so many teams, so much of the game was saved by him that has residual effects on other things. Many times... um, Finances of a team were printed in the newspaper, right? They started the year with $500, and the year ended, they were 3000 in the hole. Well, John Donaldson came, and now they're in the black again. And that was the key to the understanding what John Donaldson's name meant to them and places that they went to, because he took so many... Um, grandparents, grandparents of grandparents is not only their baseball teams, he brought the game back in all those places. Because if everybody operated at a loss, except when John Donaldson shows up, he could make the financial year for a team in one game. And that was a key to understanding how the game spread. You might have thought this conversation that we're having started off about unknown black baseball player. But he kept the game going in the places that he went to. And it's everywhere. And that's another part of understanding about how great he was. It wasn't that he just affected the people who he struck out or the players that were on his team or the people who were benefited enough to watch him play. Um, He benefited every community that he went to. Every time he stopped there, it was like, here comes John Donaldson. We want him here. And that's a key part of what his story is about. Do you think because the impact he had on the community that he might have been afforded a bit more... Uh, respect or seen more as a human being compared to other African-American people during that time period? I think we'd because, like to believe that. Yeah. I, I was just curious because I see, I know you've, you've shared a lot of photos and I've seen them in your, your videos on YouTube and, um, but white people taking a photo with a black baseball player. Mm-hmm. I mean, let alone, you know, we talked about, you know, it, it was not common to print a newspaper article, let alone doing that mm-hmm. in public. I imagine if there's someone on the other side of the fence going, well, I don't want him here, I don't care what he does, right. to see that. And you know there was. Yeah, and I mean, just fast forward to the 1960s, the civil rights right. movement, you see white people going down and marching during the civil rights. Mm-hmm. They were beaten up just as bad as everybody else was. So here, right. you know, go backwards 30 right. years, right. 40 years. That's a huge impact. And his impact in terms of what we'd like to believe, and there's varying degrees of this, and as I've done this, I've figured this out a little bit more, or maybe gotten a better handle on it. 
we'd like to believe that these locals, this was their first experience with an African-American person. And that's not necessarily true. Um, But I can tell you that this is the first time that a famous African-American person came to their town and they all made money when he showed up. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference in that. If he's afforded respectable treatment because of that, is up for debate. I think that's, uh, that certainly is something. I don't think we should just condemn everybody who back then was a card-carrying anti-African-American person. There was that prevalency in society, no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. um, it would be presumptuous of us today to look back and assume everybody was like that. And so, no, I don't know. I think that uh, they wanted to see major leaguers. I know that was popular. They wanted to see and, and major league caliber players. They wanted to sit outside on a Sunday afternoon and watch a baseball game. They all did. There wasn't a movie theater. There wasn't a radio. There certainly wasn't a television, right? There's not any of these things. And so what really, what else are you doing? What we're finding a lot about in the pandemic, right? We're excited when the mailman comes, right? (laughs) This is what they were excited about. And it's important to understand that. Um, And so looking back on it and trying to think about if John Donaldson was more respected because of that, I don't think it stopped people from yelling things at him. And he said many, many times uh, that he took a lot of heat from the stands, right? But I tell you what, he was a starting pitcher, right? Left-handed, six feet tall, which is tall back for back then. Um, the baseball game was one of the very few things that he could control in his life. He's holding the ball. They don't start until he throws it. Mm-hmm. And so in a, in a metaphorical sort of way, um, that's what he can control. And that, and he did. <laughs> And he was great. And that's what we need to concentrate on. There is no shortage of John Donaldson greatness stories. There's not. Um, How much do you have time to handle is a question. But I think what, back to our original point was, it is possible you don't know who he is, but we're here to tell you that now. And so let's figure that out and get him what he deserves. Because being forgotten is what he doesn't deserve anymore. We know better. And in order to do better, we must do better. And that's why I'm talking to you. That's why I'm talking to as many people who will try and listen to the John Donaldson story as possible because it has something to say about not just letting it lie there anymore. And I, I just want to roll things back to the barnstorming era. That, mm-hmm. So when I was researching for for recording this, I never heard of that before. Again, for before people start mm-hmm. yelling at their their cars or their their phones, whatever they're listening on. Okay, not a baseball fan. I'm I, I'm big into history. So as soon sure. as you start talking about the historical side of it, I'm like, ooh, and hyper focusing okay. on it. So how did the barnstorming era come to be, and what was that? Major League Baseball, the farthest east franchise was St. Louis and just not that much different than Chicago. Um, And so in Minneapolis, for instance, there was not a major league team until 1961 when the Twins came. Um, They had the Minneapolis Millers and they had the St. Paul Saints, which were minor league teams, um, but organized minor league teams. Uh, 
And so there was a funnel process, sort of. If you wanted to play Major League Baseball, you would go into these minor leagues, and then they'd sort of graduate you up or promote you up to the major leagues. And that didn't even really happen until the 1920s. Minor League Baseball was, it was all independent. Mm -hmm. And so what you had was independent teams that would sprout up to make money just here and there, catch you again, right? And so they took the circus model, um, which was traveling around, barnstorming. We're going to stop here one day. We're going to put the tent up, right? We're going to have the elephants and the hippopotamus come out <laughs> and the lions, and I'm putting my head in the lion, and then here's the bearded lady, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's the same thing that barnstorming teams did. They would come to town. Baseball was so popular, and ability to draw a crowd was so important that these teams would come to town and everybody there would come watch. And one of the interesting parts about John Donaldson's legacy that's important to understand, I think even more today, is your neighbor told you to go. Your neighbor told you to go watch John Donaldson. It was over the fence. It wasn't on the social media, and it wasn't on the TV. And it right, and so people had conversations. Face they had, <laughs> believe it or not, that's right. And so think about that. I mean, that's a, I think about this all the time. John Donaldson's fame was word of mouth fame. And so there's no real reason why anybody in New York City would know who he was because he's rolling around in western Minnesota, right. right? I mean, and in order to get to New York City, what did you have to do? Someone would have to get on a train and go all the way out there and tell John Donaldson stories, which did happen. But it's not like today where we can tell this story and it can be magnified. Back then, to and and that makes his perseverance and his success story that much more impressive because he got four, five, seven, ten, twelve thousand people where there would only be fifty people before. And how do you do that when they're all riding on horses? Right. Right? And that's the difference. Is his ability to draw come see this. You have to see this. And we're blessed to have film footage of him, right? Somebody in Fergus Falls, which is in West Central Minnesota, in 1925, decided that they would take their Kodak film camera out and shoot John Donaldson throwing the baseball. Which I, I, I watched the video that you have on your YouTube channel mm -hmm. about that and the origin of how he got that camera. I thought was interesting. If you don't mind expounding on that, yeah, yeah. So John, so one day, August 16th, 1925. <laughs> um, in John Donaldson's coming to Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and a guy named W.T. Oxley, who was a town photographer, he had a, uh, a picture published in Life magazine, which was a big deal for a guy from western Minnesota, right? <laughs> I mean, that's important. Um, and so he was known the town photographer. There was a um, tornado that came through Fergus Falls and crashed everything, and he got a famous shot of it in Life magazine. Uh, one day, his wife's wedding ring, the 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 fixture, the the rock, the fixture of the ring got loose. And so, what did you do in 1920 when your ring was loose? Um, you took it to the general store and they mailed it in to somebody and they fixed it and mailed it back. So he took his wife's wedding ring into this general store and they sent it out to get fixed. He comes back two weeks later. I need the ring now. Where's my wife's wedding ring? Well, Mr. Oxley, we're sorry. Um, would you take this film camera? It's called a movies, right? And you'd crank the little handle and the, right? And he's a photographer. And so 
we lost the ring. Take the camera home. So it must have been a long ride home for Oxley when he got home to say, honey, I have lost your wedding ring, but we have this new shiny new camera that you'd have to mail in the film to get it back in order to see what it was that you shot with the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but Oxley took uh, film footage of John Dawes and throwing the ball. Uh, his wife lost her ring so we could do this and we could see him. And that's super important to me. And I geek out on that kind of stuff. But I read there's still scouts today that are coaches that review that same film. Yes, we've shown the film footage to uh, major league scouts and former major league scouts who have no idea what it is. And we purposely don't tell them. Um, And they gave us reports back that explain who John Donaldson was physically because that's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said things like his arm action would have made him have a long career, which he did. Uh, his powers generated from his legs, which it was. Um, all the things physically that it took to throw the baseball. Um, and then some said he would be in, I've seen pitchers with worse forms be in the Hall of Fame, right? But what's important we also put the film footage up against his contemporaries. And na- there's names like Christy Mathewson and Lefty Grove, uh, Walter Johnson, greats from that time period, Chief Bender. And if you YouTube, if you Google them and YouTube, you can see their throwing motion. And they didn't throw it all the way John Donaldson does. So it is conceivable that John Donaldson threw the baseball in a different way than anybody had ever seen before, which was part of what his fame was. His throwing style and his mechanics of doing that was different, much like the difference between Picasso and finger painting. It's just a huge difference. Everybody can finger paint, but not anybody can be Picasso, right? John Donaldson, I believe, in his throwing style, physical throwing style, was Picasso not just finger painting. And that's what people saw at that time that was so amazing to them was no one threw the ball like him. Now, one would assume, and I assumed early on before I even saw him, saw the film footage of him, that he threw like everyone else. And then I start looking at all these other guys and all his contemporaries, and you start going, no, he throws the ball completely different than anyone else. And it looks a lot more like something you'd see on TV last summer than it does 1910. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important to understand. And so he, his physical ability, his throwing style was almost a century ahead of its time. And that would have looked like a Martian literally landing in your front yard in 1915 when baseball was the biggest thing, right? And it was also a time when you had to see it to believe it, right? There was time in baseball history where uh, when the telegraph first started that they'd have crowds would gather in small towns across the United States to watch a scoreboard like this one where um, they'd watch the game. 
it wasn't television. It was a scoreboard, and they'd have little lights that would go around, and a guy hit a double, they'd put him on second base, and it would ding, 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 and everybody would sit around and watch. Um, that was a thing that they did before television, and it was all distributed by telegraph. And so technology mattered. That's how people saw Babe Ruth. They never actually saw him. The right. people who in Major League cities saw him. And if you were lucky enough to travel to one of those places to see him, you could. But Babe Ruth's persona, much of it, especially uh, west of the Mississippi River, uh, is in your mind. And through newspapers and magazines, it wasn't because you got to see him play the way we see every major leaguer play every day now. So there is much more of that theater of the mind that's in play in legacy. And so John Donaldson needs to have that applied to him as well um, because that's his era, not like Ryan Sandberg or uh, Chris Bryant or a normal Cubs guys today, right? I mean, we can watch them on, on your phone. When it happens, the replays are not, right? John Donaldson was something to look forward to and savor. And, you know, we're really going to go do that. And that was, that's a huge difference in how he's remembered as opposed to how we think he should be remembered. Um, John Donaldson was the filet mignon, (laughs) right? And he was the Picasso. And I, I'm dead serious. He was the he was that he should have been thought of in those terms because he was so rare. Left-handed pitchers are incredible um, commodities until today. If John Donaldson walked in my walked in this room right now, he could have a tryout with the Minnesota Twins, and they would think about it because he's left-handed and he's tall mm-hmm. and he throws a hundred miles an hour, <laughs> and that's what. That transcends time, Mm -hmm. his physical ability does. And so if you think that segregation hurt the careers of black baseball players, which obviously I do, John Donaldson was left way behind. And that's what we're trying to repair. At least give people the sense of who he was, when he was. And so they stop thinking that it's just some guy on mothballs that is uh, a couple of faded headlines. Mm -hmm. With the film footage of him throwing the ball and playing the game from so long ago, there's there's 35 African Americans in the Baseball Hall of Fame today. Um, I would venture to guess that... One or one to three of them might have actual film footage of them. There just isn't that of anybody. Mm-hmm. Satchel Page being the only one, yeah. right? And so many pitchers, particular, are in the Hall of Fame. Um, Negro leagues pitchers are in the Hall of Fame. No one has any film footage of. They really don't. They had to reassemble that career using stats, faded newspapers, whatever they could. Um, John Donaldson doesn't have that. We know exactly how he throws the ball, and there it is. And now he might be facing a farmer in western Minnesota, but he didn't have a choice. Every time John Donaldson played in a major league city, if it's in that time, there were very few of them. There's 32 teams now. 1915, there were 16 major league teams. And two of them, 
right? Brooklyn, New York Giants. I mean, they're all in the same New York town, right? Yeah. And so they're not as far flung as they are now. Um, and that's something important to understand as well. But every time John Donaldson played in what was a major league city, there was questions in the newspaper. Why isn't he pitching for the Chicago Cubs? Why isn't he pitching for the Chicago White Sox or the St. Louis uh, you know, St. Louis Cardinals. Why? He's better than anybody they got. And so there was a forced effort to force John Donaldson to go somewhere where he wouldn't be remembered. And that just happened to be where I'm from. Um, and a lot of other people are from mm -hmm. who now have the ability to tell you about this. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. And to go back to the, the barnstorming area, I mean, were these, were players being paid at this time? I mean, could they, could that uh, be a full-time, not, not necessarily a seasonal full-time job? Or it could it be if you were good enough. Yeah. And it all depended on if you won. Um, and so there were reliable players who could play multiple positions, pitch, catch, shortstop, outfield, right? Because you couldn't just play one. You had to be able to play almost everywhere. Um, and so there were reliable players, but a small percentage mm -hmm. could make a living being a barnstorming baseball player. Could you? Could they hope to, if they play well enough and show that they're good enough, make it into a, a higher league, you know, a minor league team at that time? Or If you were white. Yeah. Right? No, absolutely not. And people talk about John Donaldson and what his dream must have been to play in the major leagues, and it kind of nauseates me. Um, so then it, because he didn't have a major league dream. Right. The color line was firmly in place when he was born, and he did live to see Jackie Robinson break the color barrier in 1947. Um, you know, he's super old baseball-wise at that time. Um but he never, the, 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 let me tell you a story about John Shackelford. Yeah. John Shackelford was a white kid in Glasgow, Missouri. John Shackelford and John Donaldson played on the same Sandlot teams, right? There was a time when it was acceptable for white players and black players to play together until adolescence. And then once that happened, 14, 15 years old, you went your separate ways, right? There was two different roads. Uh, John Shackelford had a major league dream. He was white, and he could get to the major leagues if he was good enough, and he was. He won a championship with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers of the American Association in 1914. He was their best pitcher, right? But John Donaldson went one way, and John Shackelford went the other way. And who was better? Well, we know John Donaldson was, right? But John Shackelford made it to the made, quote, unquote, major leagues, right? John Donaldson never had that as an option. If Gordon is good enough at pitching, catching, hitting, et cetera, the things of the game, one can assume that if you play hard enough and make the right decisions and do the right things, that your progression could be major league. Um, John Donaldson never had that. Never had that. Never even thought about that. Um, and so to think that he did in sort of historical context is probably wrong. So it begs the question, you know, if in that time period, you know, why would a player want to go and, I mean, really risk their life going to these towns to play a game where they've hit that, the, the, the ceiling, really? I mean, was it really worth it long term for them? 
Now, there's a, a hypothetical, yeah. some philosophical questions here, but... Well, I think yes. Because as a parent, you know, if I'm yeah. a parent and my kid is going to go potentially risk their life to play a game that they're going to make, they might make some money on, mm-hmm. but they might not. I'd be going, hey, why aren't you going back to seminary? Go back to George R. Uh, Smith College. Smith College. Yeah. And play the safe route. Right. And that's what I'm saying in terms, and that's why I try, you know... <laughs> To think that John Donaldson going to the seminary college, the to be a Methodist preacher would have been a much more long-term career plan than to be a baseball player. I mean, there was no chance for him to be a baseball player unless he was great. He would have, tail between his legs or not, back to George Smith to get his be a preacher at a small town AME church uh, that could have been a long term career goal for him Mm -hmm. and probably was and certainly what his mother wanted him to do Uh, but it turned out he was this unbelievable baseball player and that changed the trajectory of his whole life so for Donaldson, you mentioned he played multiple teams. Uh, mm-hmm. Was he? Were these teams? You said they had that circus um, model. That was the All Nations team. Yep. Yep. So did they? Before the All Nations, and he's playing on these little local teams. Were they this? Were here for a couple seasons? Oh, the bank account's empty. Time to shut down. And then would he move over, or was he being? You know. And that's the thing. Satchel Page is known for being a um, free agent. Somebody who could be hired by anybody to play one game in their town, and Satchel Page did that a lot. How Satchel Page learned how to do that? John Donaldson did that 20 years before Satchel Page was even around. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same places, what made Satchel Page somewhat known um, was he did the same thing John Donaldson did. And John Donaldson was driving Satchel Page around. It's a fact. To do these things. And so what we remember of Satchel Page is much easier to remember because it's in the golden age of 1940s and 50s, right? And the sort of age of our grandparents, right? And the parents that are, that's the greatest time in the history of the world, the post-World War generation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's why people remember Satchel Page. Before that, Satchel Page doesn't do any of that. Jackie Robinson doesn't do anything he does without John Donaldson being there. He doesn't. And that matters. Um, It's important to understand that from a sociology point of view that John Donaldson was making it all right and doing it the best he could. Um, And being a tremendous, turns out, a tremendous example for everyone who followed him and his sort of reverberation matters in the careers of every African-American and baseball player who came before or I'm sorry came I'm sorry came after him I mean it's important to understand that how many teams have you tracked him to be on the We found so another one last year, and it's somewhere around 28 different teams. Um, and that includes one-offs. He could make up to $150 in one game, which is a lot of money back then, um, to come for one day and put on your town's team jersey mm-hmm. and win and leave town. I mean, that's... He was that famous. $150 then that's roughly... I looked it up last night, like fourteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars yep. in today's money. Yes. So I mean, that's for a game. Right. I mean, that's huge. Right. 
And think of the um, fragility of that. Today, we hand you a paycheck that if you sign it, you go to the bank, they'll give you green money for it. In 1915, that wasn't what happened. And they certainly didn't give John Donaldson a bag full of nickels. The money part of the game was, is, which we're still working out, because there was before the gold standard, right? And so the FDIC that guarantees that this dollar is worth a dollar, right? Well, there was town money. And so John Donaldson had bankrolls in towns all over the United States because he wasn't going to go walking around with a bag of money. I mean, that seems illogical. Right. Um, And so there's this intricate system of follow the money and tell me where the money goes, right? And that's a whole different way of looking at it. And it, to me, it's fascinating. I can tell you that one uh, guy told me, uh, who's still alive, he told me when he was a kid, eight years old, uh, he woke up, rubbed his eyes, walked out in the living room, and there's a black guy laying on his couch. And he found out years later that that was John Donaldson. Um, well, it, somehow his father, this boy's father, needed an operation. And John Donaldson heard about that and was going to North Dakota to a bank to get his money out so he could pay for the operation. Which makes one believe, wonder where John Donaldson's money is because it's in banks in locales all over the United States. Because they gave, if you went to uh, Bismarck and went to the bank in Bismarck, they gave you Bismarck money in 1915. It wasn't George Washington on the dollar, right? It was, <laughs> just wasn't. And people don't understand that part of what it took to get him paid. It wasn't like, here's a check, hop on the train and go to the next town. Uh-uh. It was a complete process of trying to figure out the best way to retain your money. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like you had a credit card. Right. <laughs> and that's a huge difference in how your daily business is conducted. And uh, it's fascinating to me because one imagines that there's a, um, you know, a, a little bank book in hundreds of different towns. <laughs> he must have just carried a box, a big bag full of deposit books because he had money and all, because he just couldn't carry around. Now, there are stories of black baseball players who were paid in diamonds mm-hmm. because that's the only portable currency they could have. And they would stitch them into their belts. And then at the end of the year, they would open their belts, right? That's how they made money. And that's a completely different thing. And and, and set aside the racial aspect of which was prevalent in everything, but set aside those things and just think about how, where the money came from. Show me the money, Jerry, right? I mean, where is it? And how does that work? And that changes your perspective on John Donaldson's mm-hmm. story as well, because he was well paid um, for what he did, and he was a star. Do you think that's why he had a 30-plus year career? Because, I mean, if you have your money tucked away in all these little different nests across country, you can't exactly put away the retirement egg, if you will. Right. I think that um, 
it sure would make you visit. <laughs> Right. I mean, it sure it sure would, and it would sure give you a network of people who helped you. Mm-hmm. And we know of these people. We know of several different places that he would show up because they wrote about it in the newspaper. John Donaldson drove through here. He was going fishing, <laughs> and they just—I mean—he literally drove through here, and they wrote about it in the newspaper. Right? You can find that stuff, and I have, and we have. Um, because he was famous. And if he's famous, you change your perspective on those types of things. But yeah, I think that if uh, someday, once we start to get a, a plateau of the research aspect of it, a very fascinating part of John Donaldson's legacy is where the money is. Because he obviously dies without a, having a headstone on his grave, without a marker. Um, he did have a stroke in 1968, two years before he died. So maybe his rehabilitation lost all his money. Um, I know he worked when he was a scout for the White Sox. He also worked overnights at the post office in Chicago. Um, we know that from letters that he wrote to people. Um, so the gig at the White Sox wasn't paying him enough to make money, right? I mean, and so I think there's a whole, I think it all goes back to the preacher. I think it all goes back to George R. Smith College. John Donaldson never had a long-term career goal because I just don't think that was a possible thing to have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... Baseball was going to last as long as baseball was going to last. And then what are you going to do? And that was all. He was famous enough uh, and he was skilled enough to be able to persevere through his 33-year career. And and speaking of the money and, you know, the long-term career bit, I read that he was offered $10,000. Was it 1920-something, 30-something? 1917. um, He's credited as being offered to go to Cuba and start speaking Spanish and come back and play in the major leagues. Um, And he famously refuses to do that. He said, I'm black. Um, I was born black. I was born American. And that's the way it's going to be. There's also other articles about um, referencing that. Um, Honestly, he was probably too famous to ever have pulled it off. Uh, maybe early, early in his career he could have got away with that. But that goes back to what we talked about a little bit about just because it's happening in St. Louis doesn't mean that anybody in New York knows anything about that. Um, And so there was an attempt to... Cubans could play in the major leagues and were, and were being successful in the major leagues in the mid-1910s. and to put that in perspective uh, for people listening, I looked that one up too. So ten thousand then that'd be roughly one hundred forty, one hundred fifty thousand okay. today. So that's yeah. thanks for that yeah. <laughs> monetary update. Yeah. And now ADD and rabbit right. holes. And now the monetary update. No, yes. that, but that's right. Ten thousand dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but he decided not to do that. I understand it had he taken that deal then that meant he would have had to cut all ties to his family his that's mom correct. was still around then and that's correct he had had um and his mother and father were both around yeah. um at that time and his brothers and sister and where he lived and where he was from and he just had the integrity not to do that um i think it's really important 
part of his legacy that people know that he could have had the shot and chose not to do that. Um, which relegated him to obscurity. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to change. I mean, let's face it. He goes into the major leagues, has a great career, turns out to be a Hall of Fame baseball player. He doesn't need us. Uh, I think his legacy needs us. Mm-hmm. And he needs everyone. It isn't just me and you, and it isn't just my family or the Donaldson Network or anybody. I think it needs everybody. Because it's an example of somebody's perseverance that we should be looking up to. And it's important for people to understand that. I think it's fair to say that you've you've definitely made a huge impact with your work. I know uh, Glasgow fairly recently in the last few years dedicated the field and statue in his name. That's correct. John Donaldson's statue and field dedication day was September 4th of 2020 amidst the pandemic. Um, for years, we had been uh, working on putting a larger-than-life statue of John Donaldson up. Um, then the pandemic hit, and the field construction was what it was. Um, but now, forever, into perpetuity, um, everybody who goes to his hometown to play baseball or softball um, will play on John Donaldson Field and see a huge statue of him there. And it's super important in this day and age. Right, we're seeing statues crumble all the time mm-hmm. and be pulled down for the right reasons. John Donaldson's statue rose uh, in 2020, and we worked on restoring his legacy, and we continue to do it. Um, but it's I stood at that spot in last September, and, you know, the ground was a former plantation. And it's important to me. <laughs> and it's important to the people that understand. Mm-hmm. I stood there in this a cicada. You know what a cicada is? People know what that is. Um, are big there. And I stood there uh, 10 o'clock at night. The lights were on. They were playing a baseball game. Um, still 100 degrees. It's hot there. <laughs> Holy smokes. Um, but I stood there and I listened to the bugs. And the sound they made and the game going on. And that's the same sound that was there a hundred years ago when an African-American man was enslaved by the guy who lived on the top of the hill in the house that's still there. And it's a powerful thing (laughs) to think about the juxtaposition of where we are now. Now there's a bronze seven foot tall statue of a baseball player who can show us what is, what's important and what it is like to get along with people. And that's an example that we should all follow. Mm-hmm. And it's a powerful thing. I just think that it's, um, it was important in telling his story. It was important to people, obviously, who fundraised for it or raised the funds for it. Um, but it's a lasting tribute in a place you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be. And I think it's easy for, well, I'm a millennial, late millennial, 
<clears throat> but I think it's easy for people to forget that it wasn't that long ago when history was and society was incredibly different from what it is today. I mean, it seems like the collective attention span of the internet seems to be about two two weeks, and right. here we are. We're separated. I think you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, and we're separated from, like you said earlier, two generations. Yeah, from that time period. So I, for you, seeing all the work that you put in, and here we are, and now he has that field and statue dedicated to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, how does that feel for you, seeing that happen? Well, it's a. Um, I go back to the people who had the courage to talk about him. Those are the people I know. Um, I know how unpopular it was to write positive things about him in the newspaper because I know they're not easy to find. And there's a certain level of satisfaction or job well done or whatever you want to say about um, finding those things and resurrecting those things. Uh, But it is possible. Let me tell you a story about Edward Backus. Edward Backus was a lumber baron. He tore down all the trees in northern Minnesota. Why? Because they made great paper. And he opened the most technologically advanced paper mill on the planet in International Falls, Minnesota in 1910. Proceeded to get a lot of immigrants and a lot of guys into northern Minnesota to cut all these trees down and float them down the rivers into his paper mill and put out newspapers. John Donaldson happens to be playing here when that newsprint is readily available. And that's a different part of the story, too. If John Donaldson goes to Oklahoma, Texas, places where newsprint and paper are not as plentiful as they were in northern Minnesota and the upper Midwest. In some towns, there there was 50 people and they had three newspapers, right? Weekly newspapers, there's 50 people there. Um, why? Because I can have a different opinion than you and I can write it down in my newspaper because we got all this paper laying around, mm-hmm. right? Because they made all this paper and it's going by on the train every single day. And so if you're in New York City and you're thinking, I'm going to go figure out the legacy of John Donaldson, would you look in northern Minnesota? Right. <laughs> I don't think you would. And I did. And, but I've been to Oklahoma and I've been to Texas and I've been to many, many states looking for John Donaldson and the reason... He's not available in those places. He's there. Is the newspaper was fragile and it didn't survive. That's a hundred years ago, right? And they printed on just about whatever they could print on. But you go up into western or eastern North Dakota, and here is thick printed black white newspaper. <laughs> You can hold it in your hand as if it just came out, if you just bought it at Target. It's a difference in technology that has kept his legacy where it is. 
you would just have to have the wherewithal to go look there. Mm-hmm. And I did, and we did, and that's important part of it. So Edward Backus, in case you didn't know, the lumber baron who got us newspapers, has a role in the legacy of John Donaldson and everything else from that era because it's robust newspaper print that kept the story around. And so I look at things like that. I mean, that's strangely, but I do, I look at, I try and find angles that are, why is it that way? That isn't just because he's black and white. Because there's other things too that caused his legacy to be lost. I just don't think anybody ever looked here. Mm-hmm. And I think the... <laughs> I think poo-poo and grandpa is a bad idea. But listen, we're not the last people who ever think the generation before us is a bunch of morons, right? right? We're not. <laughs> it's not. That is not a new idea, okay? That is, has been going on forever. And John Donaldson was uh, Michael Jordan in 1915, as much as he possibly could be. The All-Nations team was sponsored by Schmelzer's Arms Company, which sold uh, sporting goods in a catalog. Tell me what the three most popular sports were in 1915. Yeah, I'd guess baseball, but... You would. would, Let me help. It was baseball, uh, boxing, and fly fishing. (laughs) The big three, right? Not the NFL... Not the NHL, not the WNBA, or NASCAR, right? I mean, no, right? And so if you wanted to have, if you live in Nebraska and you wanted a baseball glove, how did you get one? Through the catalog. You went to the general store, you flipped through the Schmelzer's catalog, right? And then here comes John Donaldson with Schmelzer's on his uniform, and they play and they sell baseball mitts out of the back of the (laughs) train car. How's that not Michael Jordan? It's parallels are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, That is what he did. Michael Jordan sold shoes for those people who are not old enough to know that. (laughs) Right? Um, John Donaldson did that too, a hundred years before, and was as famous and as noticeable and as renowned as any contemporary athlete is now. And nobody knows that. Well, we know that. And I'm going to tell one person, and you're going to tell one person, and that's the way that's going to go, and we're going to keep doing that. I just have Twitter and Facebook and the ability to make films on my laptop. And right? <laughs> I mean, I could do a lot more in terms of I got a louder trumpet. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make it a better one. It just means that it's a story you can listen to in times like Black History Month, his John Donaldson's 130th, 130th birthday is February 20th, um, 2021. We have to celebrate that. And we do in our own ways. And, and I've been celebrating his birthdays for 20 years. Um, but people should know who he is. And not only that, they should know who he is because of the example and the legacy that he had can teach us something about who we are right now. And that statue in Glasgow, um, the legacy restoration effort, the Baseball Hall of Fame, major league recognition, uh, all of that.
that stuff is helping bring John Donaldson back. And it isn't just because we're trying to find a story that's in the mothballs. It's an inspiring story. It's a true story. It has something for everybody. And again, being a this is a history nut, I mean, it blows my mind that he really carved the path for all these different things, you know, that we've talked about, and mm-hmm. yet still kind of left as just a footnote at best. At best, yeah. I'm telling you, before <laughs> before the website johndonaldson.bravehost.com came around, there was nothing. Another thing that we figured out was. You know, you can sit across the table from me today, which is wonderful and continually getting chillier. But the, <laughs> uh, it isn't me. They've been saying this for years. It, John Donaldson is, you're, you're familiar with all-time lists, mm-hmm. right? The greatest baseball player of all time is the top five, right? Or that's very common parlance of today and it always has been. John Donaldson was on all-time Negro League baseball player lists, top guys in the history of the game, 10 consecutive decades. So Gordon and Pete, Gordon, aren't the first people to talk about how great John Donaldson was. They've been doing it for 100 years. 2020, John Donaldson's on the all-century team for Negro League baseball players. Rightly so. This isn't new. It isn't like the Donaldson Network just showed up one day. They've been talking about how great he was for many, many years, but there was a steep hill to climb Mm -hmm. to make people believe that. Uh, And I think we can change that. And that's what we work on. Uh, You know, to be called an all-time great in the 1920s, and then again in the 1930s, and 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and 80s, and 90s, and 2000s, and 2010s, and 2020s, you must have been pretty good, right? (laughs) Somebody better tell us who the hell that guy is Mm -hmm. when you're standing around his gravesite and you're in his green grass and you can't figure out why he doesn't have a headstone or a grave marker, and we can do that. And there are a lot of John Donaldsons out there, none that are in the stratosphere as he is, of course. I mean, who could do the things he did? Uh, Almost nobody, because no one did. There's not anybody like him. There's not. And that's hard for people to understand, but we certainly will have the documentation to prove it. Mm -hmm. And so what we've been working on in terms of his potential to be enshrined in Cooperstown and Baseball Hall of Fame. My job isn't to get him in there. My job isn't to tell you to tell everybody you know to get him in there. We can't do that. There's a baseball writers association that elects Hall of Fame baseball players and it's rather complicated process. (laughs) And it happens every year and we just got out of it again and this year they didn't elect anybody. Um, 
the committee John Donaldson is going to be considered for the Baseball Hall of Fame has nothing to do with that. It's not about convincing as many of the writers as you could possibly convince that John Donaldson was significant enough to be in there. That's not how it works. So we, you and I can't go arm in arm up the stairs at Cooperstown to the library with bullhorns and scream, John Donaldson belongs in the Hall of Fame. You're all stupid if you can't figure that out. Right? That's not possible. The Hall of Fame, which I have a lot of respect for, they're the keepers of the game. Uh, they can do whatever they want. If it works for them, John Donaldson is good enough this year, okay, fine. If it works for them that John Donaldson isn't good enough, well, at least say who he was. I can tell you for a fact, in, in 2021, when he is to be considered again, they know who he is. And I can't say that about years past. Mm -hmm. And that's all I can do. I sure would love it if they came out and said, you know, come on in, John Donaldson. You belong in here. Because that would be able to tell this great story of an American hero. That's what we need to do. It's going to help you. It's going to help me. It's going to help everybody who wants to hear the story and understand it. Um... That's what our job is. All I can do is that. The Hall of Fame decides they want to do that. Great. But who would have thought that just in December they would have actually called him a major leaguer? I mean, he certainly didn't think that. And if you think about when he's going to seminary school, he didn't think, A, that he would be a major leaguer. But that two dudes would be hanging around talking about him 100 years from now either, right? And so if you think about it that way, um, we just can't sit idly by and let the tremendous example that he had and just sit here and pretend it didn't happen because it absolutely happened and it absolutely is imperative upon us to tell people that. So one day I was in my basement digging through John Donaldson's calendar, trying to put as many dates on the calendar for him as possible. And I realized <laughs> the lightning must have struck me in the basement <laughs> because this guy is incredibly significant and not just pretty good. Game affirming. I mean, he's. I'm not exaggerating. Now you can sit and listen to the quote unquote Uber driving <laughs> middle aged white guy from Minneapolis. You can sit there and do that if you want to. That's not what I expect you to do. I expect you to look and see that it is possible that you have no idea who this is and that it is possible that we could fix it. And if you can have that little bit of an open mind, um, I think we can change the legacy of John Donaldson, and that's what we actively work on all the time. Mm -hmm. The numbers speak for themselves. Are they inflated? Sure. We won't even argue with that. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, who could you find in middle of Nebraska on any given Sunday? I mean, I don't know. But almost all of them struck out. There's games where he struck out 21 of the first 24 guys. I mean... John Donaldson gave up more runs because he wanted to, because then he'll come back. Mm -hmm. You can't just strike out everybody on the team and get on the train and leave and have them beg you to come back. 
You know, so it's 10 to nothing. A little bit of showmanship. In it's there. 10 to 2 now, and everybody feels a little better about getting a rip off John Donaldson. And that's a fact. And so I think it's important to understand that there is showmanship in the game at that time, because there had to be, because he wasn't going to major leagues. There's stories of him uh, traveling in the late 1920s in a rickety car, right? He's the manager. Um, his team is playing because he's, at that time, you had to do something called um, cleaning the spark plugs. Because of the qualities of gas, they had very high octane gas, or, I, oh, I'm sorry, deposit levels in gas. They were dirty gas, mm -hmm. right? And varying levels of purity of gasoline. Not like when you pull into Super America today and, right, fill up with, you can pretty much assume that that's going to go well in your car. Right. So what happened was, is in these big V8 engines, the gas would run through there and it'd build up a lot of gunk in the pistons. And so they were readily available to be able to take the head gasket off, clean the pistons off, and put them back in, right? This was one of John Donaldson's jobs. He would drive the car, right, play in the game, fix the car, and go to the next town to do it again tomorrow. That was his thing. They had uh, uh, a trailer uh, that carried all their tents that they stayed in, right, in the cars, because they stayed on the side of the road. <laughs> I mean, that's what they did. And he slept in cots and drove around on bumpy roads with bad tires and bad gas, right? John Donaldson's out under the shade of probably what one imagines is the only tree in North Dakota. Um, <laughs> And they're playing in the game, and the crowd starts chanting his name. We want John. We want John. He's out under the tree cleaning the spark plugs with overalls on. <laughs> and so he hears them chanting his name, and he goes in with grease-covered overalls, strikes out the side, and they still win the game, right? But that's John Donaldson's legacy. He is driving nine other guys around, He's paying them money, he's feeding them and their families, and he's driving across America trying to survive doing that, and he's also the mechanic, and he's also the promoter, and he's, you know, and this is what he does. It isn't just, I show up and I pitch one day. No, he shows up and he pitches, and then every other day he plays the outfield, and every other day he plays first base, and every other day he's the manager, and every other day he's driving the car. And that's what John Donaldson did. And that's what's different than what people think is a baseball card guy yeah. who, who has people carrying his luggage, who gets on the airplane, and they go, oh, my gosh, he had to go over three time zones. I can't really play today. <laughs> right? Right? And that's what we do now, as opposed to the perseverance of what a guy like John Donaldson did, was he went across America analog and took the lumps the whole way. And so if he's, it's not just a 33-year career, it's a 33-year work of art, as far as I'm concerned, and I think that people need to see that and can see that now. What's been the, what's been the community, local community's response? I, I know I read the papers from when the field was dedicated, and yes. it seemed like a lot of people kind of seemed to come out of the woodwork, if you will. 
saying, yeah, there's been this legend of him, and to see the statue now it cements his place in history, at least, at the very least, Glasgow. Yes. I think he, I think you have a reason, if you happen to be driving by, to stop by. And the funny thing is, is that weekend we went down there, and it was full of fanfare and, and uh, great times. I got to pitch on Donald's, John Donaldson Field. They even let me. It was terrible. <laughs> And my best friend still reminds me of how bad it was. <laughs> um, but as we were leaving a few days afterwards, we decided to go see the statue one more time and kind of wave bye-bye, right? The happy trails sort of moment. <laughs> and as we pulled around the corner and we saw the um, field and the statue, there was a car pulling out of the parking lot. And driving kind of slow and drives away. And we pull in there and pile all of us pile out of the car. It's 150 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, and as we're standing there taking pictures and saying a prayer that we travel safely, and another car comes by, pulls up, rolls down the window, takes a long look, rolls the window up, drives away. And then five minutes later, another car comes by, pulls up, rolls down the window, looks out the thing. We left something there that people want to see, and they don't even know why. And that's an important thing. And I think that it's, a, um, it's one of the most beautiful things we've been able to do is give it to other people. And obviously, we can talk, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Obviously, we can talk about John Allison for years and hours and hours on end as we're proving. <laughs> but that's a tangible thing that we left there. And it's not my opinion. And it's not because someone thought it made them feel better. It's not because reparations for what happened there in the past. It's not because someone could write a check and it's not because somebody had a field without a name on it. It's because we can leave something there and make a change. And that's what it means. And the ironic part was all last summer, um, they were taking statues down left and right all over the United States. And they're marching through the streets in record numbers like the United States has never seen before. And talking about a change. And talking about how we should do better. And talking about all the things that are better about humanity. For one reason or another. And that's an action. And then what we've been able to do is not just talk about it something about it and in one small way if that's because I can put my head in a microfilm machine or I know how to do skillfully search an internet site or whatever <laughs> if there's one small thing that I'm not we're not about just letting it lay there anymore I when I first started I didn't think this ocean of information would be around I didn't know that 
you keep peeling back the layers and there's still more layers and then it's more and more and more and that hasn't stopped and I don't know when it's going to kind of like when I'm never know when I'm going to stop talking but <laughs> the uh, it's important to understand that people can do great things if you work at it and a lot of people want to attach their name to this project about how they did all the work. And that's fine. And I struggle with that sometimes. But it's work. And if you're going to do anything in the world, if it's making your small business, if it's um, your audience, um, you got to do it. And it takes work and it takes dedication and it takes time and it takes time when it's not popular. Shoot, man, it's really great when we find a win. But there's 99 other times when we don't find anything. <laughs> and getting back up and doing it again because sharpening the pencil matters. And it's too bad that this subject matter causes us to be so sharp because it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And historians have been getting by on that for years. Josh Gibson hit 800 home runs. No, he didn't. Satchel Page won 2,000 games. No, he didn't. <laughs> John Donaldson won 418 of them. I know. And that number is going up. Satchel Page's is only coming down because we're going to find out. People are going to find out, but it takes work and it takes dedication to it. And it takes thinking about where the money comes from. And it thinks about what it would be to have not play baseball on Sundays. And it thinks about all nations team and, and small town, um, only black person on the team. Um, getting along. It takes that. I'm dedicated to doing that. Obviously. Uh, I want other people to f understand that there are other endeavors that you can be just as passionate about and you can come talk to them, hopefully. So do you think you'll ever be able to lean back and say, all right, I found everything. This is it. This is all of the legacy of John Donaldson. I think that it is a long ways away. Um, I guess that's self-preserving. <laughs> um, but Or do you think you're ever going to have to hand the torch off? To it's funny because I was talking to somebody just the other day, and I said, we got 418 wins now, in my excited sort of way. He goes, well, that's weird. I thought you only had 413. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we find them all the time. Every day we're looking for another one, and the, we're going to ring the bell again, hopefully tomorrow, right? Well, that's weird. Well, this story isn't on the back of a baseball card, and that's where people expect it to be, mm -hmm. right? And there's sacred numbers in baseball. Um, you know, 714 home runs is a big one. We lost Henry Aaron a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, Nolan Ryan's strikeout records. Um, 5,700, anyway, 5,700 something. Um, those numbers are big and numbers are big in baseball. Um, the great part about John Donaldson's legacy and John Donaldson's story in terms of the Donaldson network is it keeps getting bigger. And people ask me, well, would you speculate as to how much is left? A lot. I can tell you I got a calendar in my basement 
that has <laughs> 60 years on it. And almost half of it has dates that are filled in where we know John Donaldson was. Um, we're trying to fill another half. And because there will be impact at every one of those places. And I can see it. And I know what that is. And it's a tremendous example of how not only he persevered, but other people helped him. And he knew that he wasn't the only guy playing. Um, he knew he wasn't the only guy that got him to the next town. Um, he did that, survived that, and people helped him do that the way they helped me. I mean, they're just helping me out of nowhere, right? Out of nowhere. Game account comes in from somewhere. Well, John Donaldson was here. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, that's fantastic. We need to tell them that that is part of the legacy restoration and the change that we're all making. That's a fact. It's not a... It's not lip service. It's not talking about change. It's changing. And it's tangible. And that's what I want to do. I think it's just about time that we stop thinking that uh, all those white guys who were so good at baseball were so good at it because there were no black guys there. Mm -hmm. or, uh, or Hispanics. Or anybody else who has been excluded from the major leagues for just as long as African Americans were. Um, the game's history is going to change. And that's part of the change that we need to look at. I just think it's the same drumbeat. We, the question is, do we have the capacity to accept that? <laughs> and I think we do. And so if you think that, like me, we can change it. And we must because we have to do better. We have to do better. I can just tell you that John Donaldson isn't in the Baseball Hall of Fame because nobody knew who he was. In 1971, Satchel Paige is the first black player inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The 50th anniversary was this year, um, the other day. Um, I can tell you that there were people around and wrote it in newspapers who should be the next black player into the, into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. People said John Donaldson should be. But they also said, and the next line's the important one, but it'll be impossible to find all his statistics because it's spread out all over. <laughs> it's impossible to put his legacy together. Well... I don't think it's impossible. Might be difficult. Well, in 1971, when you and I are writing down in the Minneapolis Tribune that it's impossible, they didn't see that I can call somebody, text message and email somebody in the middle of Nebraska right now. Not just ring up the rotary dial phone <laughs> with some kind of strange thing. I can give you, it's August 14th. 1914, and he's there right then. And that's a huge difference than I'm driving to the middle of Nebraska to find this game. And that's what the Donaldson Network can do, and that's what we can do um, to change a historic neglected legacy. 
So do you have an end goal, um, if you will, of the light at the end of the tunnel for the work and restoring his legacy? Or is it... Well, I would hope that it's... I would hope... uh, In terms of if if that's going to be February 14th... um, 2031. No, I mean, no, I, no. But I hope, sincerely hope, that there is a day that people will accept him as being a great ball player, not a great Negro Leagues baseball player, not a segregated baseball player, not a black guy. He was a ball player. And until we start looking at everybody as ball players, there's always going to be a part of the game that's missed. And there's always going to be a part of the richness that we'll never have. Mm -hmm. And I can help you understand a richness of the game that you never thought was there. And that's beautiful. And that's important. And it's life affirming and changing. And we got to go there because... We know better, and we should. And I think that's the end goal. If I could get the head of the Society of American Baseball researchers to say that John Donaldson wasn't just some Negro League baseball player who's some second-tier citizen person and he's not important enough to read about and et cetera, et cetera, and just call him a ball player, well, let's go there because he's the same ball player as the major league guys who are written about in newspapers, who are talked about on street corners, who are talked about in, on trains, and over back fences, he's the same ball player as they are, except they just happen to be staying at the Four Seasons. And he's not. He's persevering and changing America for something that's better. And it's a fact. And that's where we can go. And I don't want to go all <laughs> aspirational on you. But the point is, is that I think we can change it. And what I've been able to do and what we've been able to work on is a example of one way to do that. And it can be done in lots of different ways. Um, and we should and must do that. So then go back to, uh, I was going to ask earlier, and but when's the book coming out? <laughs> <laughs> About two hours ago, I ruined that for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, it isn't because I have writer's block. It's not, and I've been accused of that before. <laughs> well, you must see the white page and be afraid to write things down. Did you get that impression? <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think that's true. Um, I think there's better ways to tell the story. I've written in books, and John Donaldson's story has been written in books. Matter of fact, there's another one coming out soon. Um... That's not specifically about him, but there's an article in there about him. Has anyone put together a chronological timeline of his story? No. No, not besides what we're doing. I mean, name a date. (laughs) I'll tell you where he was and when he was and what he did there, right? Um, But no, so I I believe there's a better way to tell the story. I believe that there was a time in history where your legitimacy depended on if you were written down. I don't think we're in that time. Uh, there's another way. And, and part of it's what we're doing here. And part of it's, but what's the goal of a book? The goal of a book is to lay it down and inspire somebody. 
We could do that. Our grandparents didn't have this. Right? <laughs> right? I, I've been in books that are now keeping up, holding up the uh, short third leg of my couch. <laughs> Insanity is doing the same thing again. <laughs> right? I just don't, I just think there's a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. What that is, if it's podcasting, if it's um, films, if it's... <laughs> Twitter. See, so let's get uh, Ken Burns on the horn and have him. Well, I mean, if that was something you could do, you know, you what, you know, again, what we should do is we should hop in a car and we should drive to wherever we think Ken Burns might be, and we should get a bullhorn and we should yell out, "Talk to us about a movie!" Right? right? But again, you—that's not logical. Right. I like that as an idea, and I. <laughs> I, I just got some new sandwich meat. Maybe we'll go and have a road trip. I mean, we could do it. Uh, and don't get me started because I could think about doing that. I mean, I'm halfway there already. But that's not how that works. I think that, and I have experience in, that story's just not good enough. Wouldn't it be better if he had a cape? Right. You know, maybe he flies around. <laughs> maybe he eats lollipops all the time. <laughs> People just aren't going to buy that he is what you say. We need this to be better. I don't think we do. I think you're missing the point completely. And to the bad analogy is you're in left field. Um... I think the story stands on its own as an inspirational story in itself. Now, can somebody embellish it? Can somebody find a better way to tell it? Probably. I'm inviting that. But you got to understand what the fact is. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to take you from nothing to something. That's what my job is. If that comes from books, magazine articles, plush toys, (laughs) it doesn't matter, right? I'm taking you, John Donaldson, who is getting hurt? We're starting to tell you who he is. That's not the next step's job. That's my job. And if you decide that you want to edit this all backwards and make it sound like I said something completely different, (laughs) go ahead. I'll rest easy knowing that I told you what the facts are and that matters. And that wasn't there and hasn't been there traditionally. And that's something we need to focus on because when you're telling a story that has the uh, uh, societal impact that this could have, you need to be right. And it needs to be accurate. And if you want to go off and start talking about how John Donaldson rode around on snowmobiles, that I don't see that as happening, but go ahead and do that. But that's not what the facts are. Because the facts are 418, 5,116, 739 cities, 8,700 or 7,854 newspaper articles. You know, that's what the facts are. It isn't my job to explain to you what is, how it could be better. 
I'm giving you something that wasn't there. And now you're trying to go, oh, you know, it should be something different than that. I have experience in that, and it's distasteful. Um, if you want to go find it yourself, go right ahead. I mean, it's out there. Go right ahead. I think that that's, we can find, I know how to do Cannonball Dick Redding, and I know how to do um, String Bean Williams, and I know how to do all kinds of other pitchers that you still don't know who those guys are. No. <laughs> I know how to do that because it wasn't the games in the major league cities that made John Donaldson great. It was everywhere else, every day, all the time that John Donaldson was making it. And so were the other guys. They were all doing the same thing. We just haven't matured enough as a genre to let everybody else understand that because it wasn't until 60 days ago that the major authority on the actual game, to remain nameless, actually called African-American players major leaguers. <laughs> it wasn't until 60 days ago. And so we really can't go and say that Satchel Page was better than uh, Nolan Ryan was, or we can't really go say John Donaldson was better than Christy Mathewson or Walter Johnson or anybody else until that happens. I can't make a movie about John Donaldson until they make 42, the movie about Jackie Robinson, because that shows that you can do that. Someone else had to show. And so that's important part of how the story is going forward, right? We're going to listen to whatever we need to listen to um, in terms of trying to tell the story better and better every time. Mm -hmm. um, but it will be thoroughly researched and it will be thoroughly true because why do it? I'm not, the greatest part of the John Donaldson story is the example he shows. I can sign a deal and take the money. I'm not gonna do that, why? Because he didn't do that either. I'm gonna be who I am. That's an example. And every time you turn around in the John Donaldson story, He's telling you what to do. And that's an, a blessing for what our effort is. Well, last but uh, most importantly, if someone's listening and they think they might have information on Donaldson or a picture or whatever the case may be, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? You can go to Google and you can search the Donaldson network and johndonaldson.bravehost.com comes up. Um, we are also uh, on Twitter at, at the Donaldson net. We have a Facebook page you can search. I like to tell people I'm the easiest person in the world to get a hold of. <laughs> I just don't know how people can't. One, did, uh, a friend of mine was uh, on Facebook this morning, and I was trying to figure out how to reach him. And I looked in my email, and for some reason I couldn't search him. And so then I went to Facebook, and I looked at Facebook Messenger to see if he contacts me through that. <laughs> And he wasn't in that either. And then I went to Twitter and I went to the Twitter messenger to see if he's on that. And then I went to Instagram and I looked in there and he's not on there either. I, there's hundreds of ways to reach me and we're on all those things. And that's important. Um, 
keeping track of the Donaldson network is an increasingly harder thing to do <laughs> because everybody, how did you, you text me, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, so uh, there you go. Well, so the way I found you, I was just, I was visiting my parents and Sunday evening, just sitting in front of the TV and care 11 local NBC station played their, their uh, show, Minnesota bound and landed 10,000 stories. Yes. Yep. 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 And saw, you know, it's like, Oh, baseball, whatever. Cool. Uh, but then it was the history side of it that got me just absolutely hooked. I'm like, what is this? And I did a quick Google search and started going through your website, a few things. I'm like, this would be really cool to just hear one-on-one, not a four and a half minute clip on a TV show. And so I found you on Facebook and like, well, we'll just throw a Hail Mary out there and see what happens. Yeah. And here we go. Here we are. (laughs) And it's important. You know, I think that I know that people who are listening or people yesterday who had no idea they were going to do this can be inspired to do it today. And so we have to be able to be open for that. There's lots of people who have lots of great ideas about what we should do with John Donaldson. Believe me. (laughs) Believe me. And I'm all for all of it. But I do have experience in how this has traditionally worked. And I want to help you tell the story. And if it's sitting here and listen to me blather for God knows how long, I mean, I'm sure you know, but the, um, and maybe no one will watch, but maybe someone will. And I think it's important that one time nobody knew who John Donaldson was. Once they did know who he was. We know now exactly who he was. And there was a time that they didn't know that and he was lost and unmarked and obscure. But what we've simply found is one of the greatest examples of humanity within our society and in our shared history. And we just can't sit and pretend it's not there. We can't and we won't. And so I hope other people see the dedication it takes. I hope other people understand the uh, obsession it can become. And I, sh- and I fully invite people to come on that journey too because there's other things that you can be obsessive about too. Uh, but it takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of support for that. There are ups and downs. There are, you asked me before, There's some days you just don't, you know, it's great to find a win. It's boring to double check your references and it's boring to, right? I mean, there's like that in any endeavor. Um, You don't get any good at anything if you don't practice. And much of what I do is practicing and compiling and practicing relationships with people and practicing trying to get this right. And that's um, because the subject requires it. It isn't an easy one. Trust me. We can go back and I can, we can tell the story of Satchel Page. My goodness gracious. He's right on the surface and he's really easy. Relatively. These guys are 
trying to find the catcher for John Donaldson from 1925 and his descendants and say, did you know that your great-grandpa caught one of the greatest players in history? They would probably say, yeah, I know, because there's a picture of him right here. (laughs) Right? I don't know who that is. They probably would. And so my point ultimately is I think that... Does this apply to business, what I'm doing? Sure it does. I think dedication matters. Um, Finding a way matters. There's a lot of parts about the John Donaldson story and the network and what we're doing that people don't necessarily want to be a part of. And I respect that. Um, But we want to... Ultimately, I think it's important that we move forward and understand what was buried is no longer buried, and it's time to start talking about how we should now relate to the new John Donaldson legacy. Well, thank you again, Pete. We can wrap up here and go chip the ice blocks off our feet. It's a little chilly. It's getting cold in here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more about or read more about John Donaldson, I'll include the link to the website in the show notes so you can click on that. And, of course, many of you have asked how you can help out. There's a couple things you can do. First off, uh, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you can re- leave a review and make sure you drop a comment on there. Secondly, tell your friends, family, coworkers about the show and convince them to check it out. Lastly, if you'd like to help me bring out new episodes, head over to patreon.com slash rules of the arena podcast and keep an eye out for new merch. And you can also head over to and click the link in the show notes as well to my site and check out the new hammer and axe collection that I have available now for a limited time. And if you'd like to keep in touch with new episodes and guests, go make sure to follow on Facebook and Instagram at rules of the arena podcast. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitch where you can tune into the live recordings. And if you miss that, don't worry. You can go over to YouTube, just search rules of the arena podcast on there where I have all past video recordings available. And if you'd like to get a hold of me for any comments, questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on the show, please shoot me an email to Gordon at blind studios.com. And last note of business, don't forget to check out my other show called No Story Left Behind. You can find that on its own feed wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow that show on Facebook and Instagram at No Story Left Behind Podcast. Thank you again, everyone, and we will catch you next time.